Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Test or Testament book of 1 John. The New Testament book of 1 John and 1 John in chapter number 2. 1 John and chapter number 2. We're in the last few messages of a Sunday school series we're going through dealing with discipleship. And we're defining discipleship in this series as this, of becoming a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that there's a time in someone's life where they need salvation. That means they come to the place where they realize that they're a sinner and because of their sin they've offended a holy righteous God and they deserve a judgment in an awful place called hell. But they realize that Jesus paid the price for them and they personally accept Christ to be their Savior. Now once they accept Christ to be their Savior, they become in a term that we use called saved. Well, after someone becomes saved, they also need to make another decision, and that's a decision to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we've been going through in this series is describing what does it look like for someone who's made a decision to follow after Christ with their life? What does it look like to be a disciple as the Bible describes it? Now as we're in our last few messages dealing with this idea of what is biblical discipleship of someone following after the Lord Jesus Christ, we now find our way to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John in chapter number 2. The book of 1 John chapter number 2, and if you don't mind, let's pick it up. In 1 John chapter number 2, notice with me if you don't mind, starting at verse number 12. The book of 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse number 12, the word of God says this, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 John chapter number 2? The book of 1 John chapter number 2, and notice the phrase with me in verse number 17 at the very end. The book of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17 where it says, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And as we continue in this series to describe about discipleship, we understand that disciples abide forever. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 
We understand that in this world, we have no permanent dwelling. The things on this earth are going to disappear. It doesn't matter. You could spend all of your life to build the biggest and the grandest house. But it doesn't matter how great you build it. It is only going to last for a small amount of time compared to eternity. You could spend all of your life to get all the toys that you possibly could. But one day you are going to pass and those toys that you work so hard to get will become someone else's. There are very few things in this world. <laughs> in fact, nothing of this world will last. But there are things that as we abide in God's will, that will last forever. Think of a young Sunday school teacher, an older Sunday school teacher, by the name of Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball is not known by most people. He is someone who was just a regular Sunday school teacher. But as Edward Kimball was teaching a Sunday school class, he was taught that I need to visit all of my class and I need to make sure that all of them know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And so as being a good Sunday school teacher, he says, well, I'm going to go try this. And so one person on his role was a shoe salesman. And so as Edward Kimball was making plans to go visit the shoe salesman where he worked at, he actually had missed the shop. And in his mind, he went like some of us may do from time to time. Well, I missed it. You know what? I'm not going to go visit him. But yet the Holy Spirit pricked at his heart and said, I need to go back. I need to go talk with him. So he entered into that shoe uh, shop and talked to that young salesman and was able to open up the scriptures and show that young man how to know Jesus Christ as his personal savior. And whereas you may not know Edward Kimball, you may know the person that he led to the Lord, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, who took two continents and shook them from the Lord. You understand, before you had a D.L. Moody, you had an Edward Kimball. And Edward Kimball, even though his name might not be recognized and may not be commonly referred to, the thing that he did and the results of it will last forever. There will be everlasting results because of his action. And we understand that as we follow God's will... That the things that we do will last forever. In fact, D.L. Moody not only took two continents for the Lord, but he had died in December of 1899. But his influence lives on that even today people write letters to the church in Chicago, writing letters addressed to him and thanking him for the influence of the things that they read by him. Could you imagine that? hundred years later, people are still writing letters thinking he's still alive because the influence that he had. Well, as we study this book of 1 John chapter number 2, we see something interesting here, starting in verse number 12. We could see that John, the apostle, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is dealing with three generations of Christians. Notice, if you don't mind, as we see here in verse number 12, I write unto you little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. So we could see that one group of people that's being addressed is little children. These are people who are newly saved. Notice as it goes on in verse 13, I write unto you fathers. So we have a different generation. Fathers, someone who has reproduced himself. Remember that being a father is not just siring a child, but taking the responsibility to raise a child. So I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men. So here we have a third generation. We have little children mentioned. We have fathers and we have young men. A different stage, a different generation here. 
I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, he repeats again the address, because you have known the Father. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. And I write unto you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Now again, as we're just making an introduction and just trying to introduce the subject to you, we have to understand there are three generations here. Um, someone once had taught this principle, and I believe it's true, that the first generation of Christians, when they first come to know Christ as their Savior, and because they have to find out God's will for themselves and convictions, that the first generation has convictions. The second generation who comes after them, they were raised in a Christian home, they were raised with that, end up having, excuse me, having beliefs. And the third generation raised up in, the, in a Christian home for two generations ends up having opinions. Notice that each one of them get weaker and weaker. That the first one, they have passionate convictions. This is what God has given us to do. This is what we should do. And they have that conviction because God brought them to the place. The second generation will often have beliefs. It's still fairly strong, but not as strong. And then the third one ends up having opinions. Meaning, well, that's your opinion. It's not my opinion. We could just have different opinions and it's watered down. Each generation must have a revolution back to the Bible and become a first generation Christian themselves. Meaning that they have to decide, this is what I believe for myself. Not just because mom told me this or grandpa told me this or because pastor told me this. But I have to come to the conviction myself. This is what the Lord has given me to do. This is what I need to do. It's about finding the Lord's will. Remember we said at the end that he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And that each generation, each Christian for themselves must decide and find God's will and obey it. If you don't mind, let's explore this just a little bit more and dive in as we have an introduction, understanding that those that abide in God's will shall last forever. The things that we do for God and God's will will last forever. We see that there are three generations of Christians here that we have to have a revolution and have to be strong in our own faith, not just because our parents said so or because our church said so or because pastor said so, but for ourselves. This is what I believe for myself as I make a decision to follow after the Lord. The first thing that we see here is the power of God's word. The power of God's word. Notice with me as we pick it back up, in verse number uh, 12. I write unto you little children. Because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now we know that each generation. Each um, stage of Christianity has its own characteristics. Has its own problems. And it has its own answers. We have a chart in the back if you would like some. About the different stages of spiritual growth. That there's no time inside of a of a Christian's life where you don't have characteristics and problems. You just have different problems. An older mature Christian who's been pastoring for a while still has problems. It's just different than a baby Christian's. What are some things that an older Christian has? Well, it could be that finishing off strong, that I get used to doing things this way and it's always worked this way. Instead of depending upon the Lord, I do it because this is how I've always done it. And instead of relying on the Lord, they take shortcuts spiritually. That's just an example. Well, here it talks about, I write unto you little children because of your sins are forgiven for his namesake. So people who've come to know Christ, just as a reminder, I remind you that you are saved not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ 
Christ has done. We're giving that assurance. We're letting you know from the Bible that God has given you this eternal life. And you can rest upon His word and His promises. Verse 13. I write unto you fathers because ye have known Him that is from the beginning. So here it's going to refer to fathers. And here they have known the Lord. In fact, you'll see this idea of know and knowledge throughout the book of 1 John. It's one of the key words. This idea of knowledge means to know with evidence. To know with a surety. Not, it's not a blind faith. It says, I have proof. I have evidence. And fathers, they have had a relationship. They have known God from the beginning. And God has proven themselves. And they are steadfast in God. And they're walking with Him. Notice as it continues on. I write unto you fathers which ye have known him from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the little, the wicked one. Here we have young men. A characteristic of them is they're starting to see spiritual victories. We're going to talk about where those spiritual victories come in just a moment. But here's a characteristic. They're in the midst of spiritual battle. They're learning to stand up on their own through the word of God. And they're starting to see spiritual victories. This is part of that maturing process to see those victories in their life. Notice as it continues on at the end of verse 13. I write unto you little children because you have known the Father. Once again, this idea that I know him. It's a key phrase that we find in the book of 1 John. How do I know that I'm saved? Because I know him. How do I know that I know him? And that's referred to all throughout the book of 1 John. Verse 14, it goes back to the fathers. In fact, repeats the statement. I have written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, as we can see these different stages of spiritual growth, we can see that all of them, by default, go off the word of God. How does some brand new Christian know for sure that they're going to heaven? Because of God's promises. God can't lie. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. How do I know I'm going to heaven? Because God said so. I found out what God said. And I believed it. And God did what he said he was going to do. That's my assurance. The Bible talks about how do we know that we're saved? It's through the scriptures that ye know that you have eternal life. And that brand new Christians, they need to know from the God's word that they're saved. Not because they think so. Not because they hope so. Not because they feel so. If you're a brand new Christian, let me tell you, there are some days you're going to wake up and you're not going to feel saved. There are some days you're going to wake up and you're not going to look saved. There are sometimes you wake up and you're not going to smell saved. I'm so thankful that it's not based off my condition. It's based off of God's promises that God made a promise and I can depend upon it. When it deals with the idea of fathers, I have a long-standing relationship. How do I know God? I know God by his word. I know him. That's the only way that God has given us to know him is he's revealed himself through the scripture. And as I've read the Bible and I've watched God work, I have known him that has shown himself true from the beginning from his word. Then we come to the young men. How do the young men win these spiritual battles? How do they overcome the wicked one? It says in verse 14 at the end, the... Um, I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong. How do they get strong? And the word of God abideth 
in you and you've overcome the wicked one. How does someone become spiritually mature? By the word of God. And not just the word of God, but the word of God abideth in them. The Bible says in Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That I've learned how to let the word of God dwell in me. By the way, this is a lot more than reading a chapter a day keeps the devil away. You're not going to become spiritually strong like this. It's saturating yourself in the word of God. Reading the word of God. Applying the word of God. Following the word of God. May I also remind you that you can't stand on promises if you don't know what they are. Amen. You have to know what the Bible says. That you could apply it and follow it and see what God says. And as you start depending on God in the middle of the spiritual battles. In the middle of the things and learning to depend upon Him. Whether it's something like when we used to live in Tornado Alley. In fact, we lived right in the heart of Tornado Alley so much that my youngest daughter was able to mimic a siren perfectly. Just heard it so often. And there would be times that my wife would be hiding in the closet with the kids and we would have mattresses around the wall and my wife would teach him in whatsoever time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. Whatsoever time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. And to give us hope. Why? Because of God's word. And we could trust it. And as we trust God's word and apply God's word and are obedient to God's word, we start to see victories occur in our life. If you need victories, if you need to have spiritual strength, the Bible says in the book of Romans 10, 17, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need more faith. How do I get more faith? Do you close your eyes and clench your fist and come on, get more faith, get more faith? How do you get more faith? You get more faith by taking the word of God, applying a promise, obeying it, and God does his part. And then you trust God more, take another promise, obey God's word, and God does his part. And you take another promise. And you start to see yourself grow spiritually and begin to see victories occur in your life because you've learned how to trust in God's word. We could see the power of God's word that they're teaching these younger people that you need to trust God's word, God's promises and reminding the fathers, how did you get there? You got there by depending on God's word. And young man, how are you still going to win the victories? How are you going to overcome the evil one? By standing on God's word. We start off by seeing in this passage the power of God's word. And then we see the passing of the world. The passing of the world. Notice with me as we jump down to verse 15. It gives the instruction, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now let's pause. Let's define our terms. What are we talking about world? Well, we know that there's three different ways that we use the word world. We could talk about the word world by the Soil. So we pick it up, all right? Am I overcoming the soil? No, can't be that definition. We understand that the world is sometimes referred to as a collection of people. Well, we know that according to the Bible that penny, our people are not our enemies, so therefore it's not what we're trying to overcome. How do we, what are we getting victory over? Well, the idea of the world here is the idea of the world and its system. It's a system of belief. And the world and its system of belief is against God in every way. And notice again with this idea of the system of belief. Verse number 15. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world. 
the love of the Father is not in him. Now, how can God make such a clear declarative statement? How come we can't love the world and love God at the same time? Well, the reason why is because they're going opposite directions. They're not going close and just separating. They are going in different directions altogether. Hollywood does not have the values of God's word inside of it. The idea of music that you listen on the radio do not have the values of God and his word in the music. The idea of how the world thinks and the world operates is diametrically opposed to God. And so if you love the world and how it thinks, you are at the same time by default not going the same way as, the, as um, God is. It's different directions. And so it's by default you become the enemy of God. The Bible talks about in the book of James 4.4. 4, by going in the same direction that's against God. So love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. Now here it describes how do we get a part of the world. How does the world get a part of us? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. How is it that the world tempts us? These are the common temptations that every one of us have. We have the lust of the flesh. Do you know that there are things that your flesh craves that's not following after the Lord? There are things that your flesh wants, your flesh desires, that by the way, sometimes it's not bad, it just happens to be not God's will. It's the desire to have something. <laughs> or to, to do something. Then we have the lust of the eyes. There are times that we see something that's not God's will to have and we begin to covet. That word covet is a Bible word that carries the idea of desiring something that's not God's will. And we live in a very covetous society. You say, how do you know? We have commercials, right? You get the flame broiled whopper that talks about how you could have it your way and they show you a picture of a beautiful whopper that they put it down and it bounces together and it stays perfect and they have all that artistry that goes with it all for you to go hmm I want a whopper flame boiled I want a whopper with cheese please and you just start thinking about it craving it and then you look at what your wife has at home and you go well I don't want what's set before me I want something I currently don't have that's the idea of the lust of the eyes to desire something it's not God's will for you to have and then there's the pride of life that's the desire to be something that's not God's will for to be. Look at it. Look at me. I want to be great. I want people to recognize my greatness. By the way, you see all three of those temptations in Genesis chapter 3 dealing with Eve in the Garden of Eden. In fact, let's pause and turn there. Let me prove my point. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. The book of Genesis at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis is chapter number 3. And notice with me as we see these three temptations. I want you to look, for, uh, look at it for yourself. The book of Genesis chapter number 3. And notice with me starting at verse 1. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. Now notice the very first question that Satan ever uttered was to cause doubt upon God's word. 
So if Satan's causing, trying to get rid of God's word in his life, where do we get the victory? By obeying God's word. It's almost tying together like God knew what he was doing. Notice with me again in verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, what Satan has done is caused her to go on the defensive. And because she's on the defensive, instead of having a biblically defensible position, she has a reactory position. God said, You can't eat of it. Now she's added, You can't touch it. See, Satan loves to do that. We should always have a biblically defensible position. What does that mean? That anything that we do in life and ministry, we should be able to open up the Bible and defend our position. Oftentimes, we pendulum to the other side and react and come to a conclusion that's not biblical, but in reaction to what someone else has said. So Satan says, so you can't eat of all the trees. Well, Um, Eve said, oh, we can't eat of the trees, neither can we touch it. Now we've kind of a reaction to what has been said. And now he's caused her to mess up the word of God. Verse 4, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Now he's pretty much conflicting. God lied to you. His word is not correct. Verse 5, for what God doth know in the day that you eat thereof, that your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Here's that pride of life. I want to be a god. What does this carry the idea, by the way? What's the idea that I want to be a God? I want to determine what's right and wrong in my life. That's the whole thing. Who is God in your life? Either God is going to be God or you're going to be God. That's the whole fight. When we learn how to trust in God's word, we're letting God be God in our life. When we disobey God's word, it is because we determine we're God in our life and we can now determine what we're going to obey or what we're not going to obey. That's where it all boils down to, the pride of life. Verse number six. And when the woman saw that it was good for food. By the way, there was nothing wrong with this fruit. (gasps) Nothing wrong. It wasn't poisonous. The only thing that made it wrong was that God said it was wrong. God's the one who sets up the borders. God is the one who sets up the moral compass. God is the one who sets up what's right and wrong. The only thing that was wrong with this fruit is that God said it was wrong. It wasn't poisonous. It wasn't going to harm them because of the fruit itself. And so she looked and saw it was good for fruit. So we have the pride of life. And now we have the pride of the eyes. Notice it goes on. When the woman saw that it was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired. And now we come (laughs) to the other one. The uh, the lust of the flesh. I want this. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. All three of those temptations hit. She made a determination that I don't want God to be boss. I can determine that it's all right. It's all right for me. And so she took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave it also to her husband, because, by the way, sin likes to share its company. That whenever we sin, we like to bring others with us. All of it came because she desired something that was not 
God's will for her to have. So because of that, we know that there's everlasting consequences. But we could see as we go back, notice what God says in verse number 17. Going back to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We could see that God is saying that we're not supposed to love the world. That those things are going to pass away. Verse 16 talks about that the the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Verse 17, and the world passeth away. This world is going to pass away. The things that we do in this life that is not for the Lord, we may accomplish great things. But if it's not done in God's will, it's a failure. In fact, the biggest failures we often have in our life is when we succeed in things outside of God's will. People like to be successful. They like to be something, like to do something. Nobody says, I want to be a loser all of my life, right? I, I'm, hopefully, I'm talking to a crowd. No, anybody said, you know what? The goal of my life is to be a bum, a loser, and do nothing, right? We all want to do something with our lives and you're going to give your life to something. The idea is, are you going to give your life to something that's not going to last? Or do you want to devote and give your life to something that will last forever? Which brings us to the last thing, the permanence of God's will. The permanence of God's will. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 17 again. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, may I remind you, encourage you, that every single person has a good, perfect, and acceptable will for their life. We know that there's a general will for everyone's life. It is God's will for everyone to come to know Christ as their Savior. It is God's will and desire for everyone to be faithful to a local church. It is God's will and desire for everyone to be faithful and be in the habit of reading their Bible for themselves. And there's many things that are God's general will. But when God created you, He created you with purpose. None of you were an accident. You may have been a surprise to your mom and dad, but you are not a surprise to God. That God knew you before you were born. And before you came forth out of the womb, He had a plan for your life. When God brought to you salvation, meaning He brought to you and had someone tell you about the gospel, or you came to church, or you read the Bible, or read a tract, however it is that God brought you to Himself, He also did that for a reason. There is a reason why you are saved. If you don't mind, may I turn to one other passage just to kind of emphasize this? You guys have been patient with me and some of you even smile at me and that helps. The book of Philippians, if you don't mind. Philippians chapter 2. The book of Philippians chapter number 2. And notice if you don't mind the book of Philippians chapter 2 where it talks about... <coughs> Um, having the mind of Christ to the beginning part of chapter 2. And then it goes on and talks about Christ and above his, uh, by his name that every knee shall bow. His name will be exalted in the things in heaven and the things of the earth and things below the earth. That every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 12. Verse number 12 and 13. So Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13. It says, Wherefore beloved... As ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Notice this phrase. Work out your own salvation with fear 
and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Notice that in phrase. That in phrase, some people have come to take that um, <laughs> I have to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. And they have the idea that that means, well, am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I sure? Am I not sure? I need to work this out. I need to work this out for myself. That's not what this phrase means at all. This idea here carries the idea to work out your own salvation. Carries the idea that you're working out why you are saved. Why did God bring salvation to you in the first place? There is a reason. There wasn't an accident. He wasn't just bored and says, I want you to come to know me. We know that God wants everyone to come to know him, but there is a reason why God gave you salvation. There's a reason why he gave it to you. And your responsibility in your life is to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is important that you find God's will. Find out what he saved you to do and to obey it. Because those that do with the will of God abideth forever. I would hate to go through life and find that I miss the thing that God had given me to do. And God said, you can know it. You guys have been very patient, but maybe because you're too patient, I want to show you more things. May I just show you just a couple different things, if you don't mind? Turn with me, if you don't mind. Now I'm going off memory. Uh, 1 Corinthians... Or, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and notice with me verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. You know what Paul did is he found out God's will, and he says, let me tell you, I'm an apostle because this is God's will for my life. He says, I don't, he's not saying, I hope this is God's will for my life. He's not saying, well, I kind of think maybe perhaps it's God's will, or my preacher told me this is God's will. He said, this is God's will for me. Amen. Notice with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. He says, I found God's will for my life. God has something for me, and that's to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I'm just telling you, I'm an apostle not because I was bored one day and said, you know, I want to be a preacher, or I haven't succeeded in everything else. I think I'll try this preaching thing and just see if I could just do it once or twice a week and people pay me. That's a joke, laugh, it's all right. <laughs> Notice if you don't mind, uh, if you don't mind, in the book of, um, let's just pick one, book of Ephesians chapter 1. You're going to see a pattern here. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. <laughs> Good. Isn't that wonderful that you could look all throughout these books and see as he talks about it. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And I could continue on. You could look for him for yourself. You know what Paul was doing? He said, I found God's will and I obeyed it. And as he's writing to the church of, of Philippi, he's telling them that you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You need to work out and find the reason why God saved you because every single one of you have a purpose. Amen. In fact, there's no such church is not a spectator sport. Amen. There's a reason why you're saved. And there's a reason why God puts you in that local church where you belong to. Because you have a purpose. There's a reason why you exist. And he wants you to know it. By the way, how do you know God's will? Do you uh, get smoke singles? Do you have dreams? Do you eat pepperoni pizza and hope that you have something good overnight? How do you find God's will? 
By the precious Word of God. How does a person mature? By the Word of God. How do you get saved? By the Word of God. How do you get assurance of your salvation? By the Word of God. How do you find God's will? By the Word of God. And as you find God's will and you obey it, those things that you do for the Lord Jesus Christ will last forever. Now I told you about Edward Kimball, a man who most people wouldn't even know who he was. He never had his name in lights. He never preached from the pulpit, a uh, big pulpit. He never had a big recognition. But he had the privilege of leading D.L. Moody to the Lord. I don't remember the steps in my head. I'm going off memory, so forgive me. But through his influence, he led another big name preacher to the Lord, who led another big name preacher to the Lord, who ended up leading another preacher to the Lord. Forgive me, I have it written down somewhere. I'm going off memory. And then someone led, one of those chains led a person by the name of Billy Graham. And Billy Graham had the privilege of seeing many people come to know the Lord. Now, I understand Mr. Billy has lots of other things around him. However, I do believe many people come to know Christ as a Savior. And you know what? You go back to Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball has credit, glory in heaven because he took time one afternoon to go visit his Sunday school class to see a young shoe salesman who come to know Christ as a Savior. And now all the people who've come to know Christ through each of those preachers Mr. Kimball has a part in that. And those things can never be taken away from him. But they're going to last forever. Isn't that a wonderful thing? When we talk about disciples, the disciples abide forever, a follower of Christ, because they're finding God's will. And those that abideth in God's will will last forever. What great encouragement we have. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.